Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Prevention Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Clausen, and I'm thrilled to be back with you all. And first off, I want to extend a warm welcome to our new listeners and, and a heartfelt thank you for sticking around to our longtime followers. I've been away for a bit, and well, for a very good reason. My wife and I welcomed our first baby on May 29th, and it's been an incredible journey. But I'm also excited to be back with you all sharing insights and conversations that matter. Today, we have an episode that you won't want to miss. We're joined by Mitch, a seasoned prevention specialist with decades of experience. We deep dive into the importance of community involvement in prevention, the need for effective onboarding and training, and the power of collective impact. Mitch brings a wealth of knowledge and practical advice that can help anyone in the field of prevention be more effective and impactful. And speaking, speaking of impactful, Mitch also talks about some upcoming events that you should definitely check out. There's a fall prevention specialist conference coming up in October and a unique supervision of prevention professionals event in November. These are fantastic opportunities for learning networking, and enhancing your skills in the prevention field. So grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and let's get into this enlightening conversation. And remember, prevention is better together, and together we are stronger. In prevention, we are all leaders. Whether you're leading a nationwide prevention initiative, facilitating statewide prevention community, your coalition coordinator, or a one-person shop, you are a prevention leader. How we show up and how we engage with others to create positive change takes all types of leadership. So sit back and enjoy these conversations with your fellow prevention leaders from across the globe who are sharing their lessons learned, best practices, and strategies for success. All right, folks, here we are. Another episode of the Prevention Leaders Podcast. And it is my honor to welcome Mitch Moore to the podcast. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and listeners. We've, Mitch and I have been talking probably for 40 minutes where we finally decided, wait, we need to buckle down and actually hit record. That's always fun to chat with you. But let's start off with just a little introduction. Could you introduce yourself? for our audience and maybe unpack a little bit and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Well, it's an interesting journey. I think a lot of times prevention chooses us. We don't always choose prevention, but I know in the, the mid 1980s, I had a friend who was upside down and in trouble. He had just returned from another state and, and he literally had nothing. He had no shoes and substance use disorder had just wiped him out. And it was during that time that I started looking for some help for my friend. And, and I discovered that there were not a lot of treatment options in the mid 1980s, especially if you had no resource, no insurance, no money. And again, my friend literally got off the bus with no shoes. He was down and out. He was destitute. And it was the first time in my life where I thought, I wonder what we could have done so that he didn't end up in this situation. 
And along that journey in the 1990s, you know, the just say no error, the McGruff error came out. We, we got into prevention when we just used a sock with a hole in it to make a puppet and, and go into the elementary schools and, and try to teach of the dangers of drugs. How have prevention techniques and strategies evolved since those just say no days? You know, it's been an interesting journey. But I like where we're at today. One of the things that we're looking at today is how can we reduce availability and accessibility of name the drug? Alcohol's been around before the pyramids were built. People have been smoking and huffing and ingesting things for centuries. I don't see substances going away, but I do see that we can be more effective. Things that we can do to reduce the availability and the accessibility. Those two huge risk factors that we are always working to reduce. In the 90s, I got involved with a um, a 12-step program for teenagers. And y'all, I didn't know how many steps were in a 12-step program. But as teenagers who we call them today in the selective and indicated population, as these teenagers were coming in and out of our programs, I, I started to once again think, how could we keep this drug away from them? What could we do to reduce availability and accessibility? You know, anytime a young person has alcohol, which is an adult beverage, well, an adult's been involved at some level. And I started looking at parents and families and realizing that if we could keep a young person from crossing the line of use to misuse to substance use disorder, we would save that individual and that family from having to deal with a disease that lasts a lifetime. I had one of my mentors say, Mitchell, we have unlimited problems and limited resources. Why don't you figure out where you can be most effective? And I started asking myself at that point, which is better, quantity or quality? I mean, you and I can go into a high school gym and, and talk to a thousand students for 30 minutes about the, uh, the mis- around medicinal marijuana or whatever your topic is, the one pill can kill opioid campaign, we can go in and present information and we can get the numbers, but did we change behavior? I mean, I really wonder at the end of the month, is it better to enter 15,000 individuals heard our message or we worked with five individuals and changed their behavior? We changed the direction they were headed. We turned them around from that path of substance use disorder. So, Dave, I'd kind of like to ask the audience, is your program effective? I mean, I hear from prevention specialists all across the country. Well, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. And I understand that. 
we get more requests in our office in a day than we can fulfill in a month. And we're busy, we're busy, we're busy, but are we effective? And how do we know if we're effective? I've said often enough, if you're not measuring it, you should stop doing it. But I want to reverse that. And, and I want to say, if your program is good enough to do, it's also good enough to measure. Well, how do you measure behavioral change? Tell me more about behavior change. Three things contribute to changing behavior knowledge, skills, and attitude. And by attitude, I'm talking about things like perception of harm. And so if you're doing a presentation, did you do a pre-post test to see, did your audience learn anything? If you're teaching skills, did you apply that skill? Can that participant show you that they know how to do that skill? You could also look at the attitude change for example, perception of harm, pre-post it. What did they think about fentanyl before your presentation? What do they think about fentanyl after your presentation? Behavior change is difficult, but we can measure the three things that contribute to it. KSA, knowledge, skills, attitude. Is your program effective? How do you know it's effective? We spend a lot of time doing busy work. We utilize a lot of things that we used to do in the 80s and the 90s and 2000 and 2010. We keep repeating the same old, same old programs. We crash cars in spring break and we hang ribbons on kids in October and and I'm not against those awareness projects, but really they're just community networking and awareness projects. Now that we've created an awareness that we have a problem in our community, what could we do to change that? How can we be more effective? But knowledge alone doesn't change behavior. Just because I know better doesn't mean I do better. In addition to the knowledge and the skills, we also have to create an environment that's more conducive to raising a healthy individual, a healthy family. And so I start looking at the environmental approach and I wonder, What's going on in my community that's not as healthy for the young people who are being raised there? How active am I at my local city council meeting, on my local school board, at my commissioner's court? Do they even know me as a citizen? How active am I? And, and I've often told people in trainings, quit your job. No, not don't really quit, but take your prevention hat off and put your concerned community member hat on and go get involved. 
Are you part of your community coalition because that's your J-O-B and you're paid to? Or are you part of your community coalition as a concerned citizen, you want to make a change? I know before you hit record, we talked a little bit about some of the books we've read. And I think you were talking a little bit about good to great. Is that right? Tell me a little bit more about that. There was a book out not long ago called Good to Great. And in the book, the author said, there are a lot of good hamburger places, but I want to eat a great hamburger. And, and so I started asking my staff, what do we do well in our program? What are the top two things that we are exceptional at doing? And after we listed those, I asked the staff, what are the things that we do very poorly? And we listed a lot of things that we do, but we were very poor in their delivery. And then I asked, what are we just good at? What are we kind of average at? And here's what we did with the list. Everything that we said we did poorly, we stopped doing. Everything we said we did good, we ask ourselves, how can we do this great? And then how do we not let those things interfere with what we're already exceptional at? So in your personal life, as well as in your professional program, you might make a list of everything you do and ask yourself, how do I move from good to great. Now, why do I want to be great? Why do I want to be exceptional? Why do I want my prevention program to be effective? Because we want to keep people from crossing the line into a substance use disorder that they will have to struggle with for the rest of their life. What you do in prevention matters. And I could easily say what you do with individuals and in prevention impacts not only them, but the next generation. And so on behalf of young people whose lives you change, many of whom you'll never meet. As I mapped out my plan for DJC Solutions, the business, I read one of the books called The E-Myth Revisited. And he challenges you to think about, can you make a better hamburger or cheeseburger than McDonald's? Most folks like, absolutely. Okay, well then why is McDonald's such a huge business? How many different continents, countries, locations are there worldwide for McDonald's or whatever other fast food chain that you would like in an out burger, what a burger, take your pick. But the magic, the magic is in the systems. They measured, they optimized the process to make their process more effective. And that I'm, I'm applying that same mindset to my business. I want to document what I do 
And then I want to try to innovate, refine, revise to make what I do most effective as well. And I kind of see this as an opportunity for the prevention field when it comes to onboarding new prevention specialists, when it comes to promoting into a new position or taking on a new project. If we as prevention leaders build better processes that has a potential to make our work more effective and efficient as well. Because I've always felt like it's we're building the plane as we're flying it. What are your thoughts on all that? I'm I'm just processing it all, thinking mm-hmm. which direction. But I think uh, we could run with the onboarding. Mm-hmm. How do we get this new generation up to speed and then move into the um, mm-hmm. the build better processes, the effective? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to start with who taught you how to do prevention. So let me run with that for a moment and we'll see if we can pull anything of value out of that. Perfect. Perfect. So as I look at my journey in prevention more than 30 years, I I always wonder who taught me how to do prevention? How did I learn what prevention is all about? And if I receive things that were effective, are they still effective? Or if I learned about programs and projects that, well, they just made you feel good or made you cry or, or changed something, then is that effective? I, I guess what I'm asking today is what I learned in the 80s and 90s and 2000s still effective today? So here you are, it's 2023, you just got hired, you were excited to go change the world, and what was your onboarding process? Did the prevention program have any training to get you up to speed in your present job? Now, I know like learning how to ride a bicycle, you're you're not going to ride well at first. You're going to have some scrent knees and, and well, that's how we learn. We learn through our failure. Well, we don't want to fail for the first six months or the first two years of our employment. We want to be effective. We want to be efficient. So I wonder the program that you're currently working in. What type of onboarding did they have? What type of training do they have? Do they measure their processes? Do they look at the effectiveness of what they're doing in the community? Or Mm -hmm. did we just select the the two curriculums we were going to teach from the grant that we received? How do you know that what you're doing is efficient and is effective? We look around at what other programs are doing and we're like, oh, that looks really good. We, we could adopt that. We could uh, accommodate that. But is that what the community needs? I think back of a training I was doing and one of the participants stood up and said, if you do not ASK, you will not GET. And she sat back down and I thought, wow, that is a great bumper sticker. 
But (laughs) even in prevention, even in our communities, have we asked the community what they want? Have we done a community assessment to determine what the needs are? Or did we just put our prevention cape on and we're like, here I come to save the day, right? (laughs) I'm going to do prevention my way. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. It's not my program. It's our program. And we know that people support what they help create. So part of the onboarding process is to teach new staff that we don't do prevention to them. We do prevention with them. Now, this is a challenge, y'all, because when you go into the community and you say, we need a high school prevention program, well, they're going to think back to when they were in high school and here's what we did. And well, that may have been okay then, but is that most effective now? How do we determine what our community will receive? How do we determine what our community will support? How do we know? Well, we have to ASK. Any tips on how to best ASK? That brings me to another level of effectiveness. We have to get out of our offices and build relationships, not only with other social service programs, but with businesses, with those community leaders. Does your community even know you exist? Do they even know the valuable work that you do? Are you putting out reports or are you using media to show the blessings and the effectiveness of what you do? Or are you keeping that all to yourself? Community resources. Not only are you a great community resource, but how do you connect with other community resources. And I think back to what someone said to me, we have unlimited problems and limited resources. Figure out where you can make the biggest change, where you can be most effective. Definitely appreciate and fully support asking your community engaging your community, building relationships with your community. Community building is oh so important. In fact, that that was at the heart of what we did at the Mid-America PTTC was to build a culture of community across a four-state region so we could come together and support each other in our prevention efforts because together is better, especially prevention, absolutely better together. And when I was Prepping for our conversation, I saw a quote on your website as it relates to community building. I want to just share it with the audience and maybe let you unpack it a little bit more. And that quote is, build a community so strong that anyone who sees it does not know who the leader is. With this podcast, with listeners, y'all are prevention leaders. I want you as listeners to ponder on that. Build a community so strong that anyone who sees it does not know who the leader is. Mitch, what would you add to that? 
what was at the, the heart of that quote for you? Well, for me, it's about checking my ego and examining myself. What is my motive for what I'm doing? When I first got into prevention, I was concerned that when I moved from a volunteer role to a paid profession, that I would lose the heart. So now I'm being paid for what I love to do. And so I need to do the work to make my community healthier and safer and not focus on who gets the credit. As a matter of fact, once you push that little snowball off of the hill and it starts going downhill and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, when that snowball accumulates mass, I think it's important that no one knows who began the project. So today for me, it's just about checking my ego and always thinking back about what's my motive here? Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to just work with people where they're at and help them to do better? Not only checking my ego, but also not fighting over resources. And instead of uh, the concept of keeping it all to our program, how about we share resources? People used to... Um, well, they still may think I'm crazy, but people used to think I'm crazy when I asked, have you written any grants for other agencies? Have you brought other resources into your communities? Have you helped other programs get established? And they're like, oh my gosh, we can't do that. I, I thought, well, there's enough to share. But instead, what happens? We, we get a, a little $10,000 community grant. And we have 20 agencies fighting over it. I think of uh, one community I lived in where the funders said, we are only going to fund you if three agencies come together for the collaboration. And that, that funder was very wise to begin to cause us to work together. So the concept of um, getting the project rolling and when the project has been completed, Nobody knows who started it. I think that's wonderful. You mentioned your, your mentor earlier. I'm curious, what other, other nuggets of wisdom have they maybe shared with you that you could share with us? One of my mentors asked me, Mitchell, what risk factor are you currently reducing today? And I scratched my head and I went, what do you mean risk factor? And Dr. Landry said, reducing risk factors is the foundation upon which all prevention programs are built. If you cannot tell me which risk factor you're focused on reducing and how you're measuring that reduction, are you really doing prevention? Now, we can get all philosophical and we can look at all different types of definitions of prevention. Is it deterrence? Am I keeping them from using? Am I keeping them from getting the disorder? Is it simply education? What is prevention? But 
Dr. Landry really planted in my brain, I need to be intentional. I need to begin with my goal in mind, and I need to just say no to everything that keeps me from working toward that goal. You know, Dave, earlier we were talking about hamburgers, and there are a lot of good hamburgers out there. But do you just want a good hamburger, or do you want a great hamburger? As we said, there are a lot of places that mass produce hamburgers. When you want a really good homemade hamburger, do you go to those businesses that, well, their hamburger tastes the same in every city in the world? Mm -hmm. Or do you want something local? Do you want something that is part of your culture, that's part of your community? Now, I would dare say that some of us would prefer a local handmade hamburger over one that's mass produced in a, a corporate system. But I want to tie that back to prevention. I wonder what your community wants. Do they want a prevention program that was, I don't know, created in another state at another time? implemented in your community and it may not even fit within the culture or would they rather have a effective homemade prevention program something that the whole community could get behind did you ever think that if we just had one simple message that the community saw over and over and over again. Now, I know repetitive marketing doesn't work. That's why corporate America spends billions of dollars on it, right? Mm -hmm. But why don't we use the same model in prevention? What if everywhere we looked, there was a simple message? I saw this one time, Dave, on a bumper sticker. It was red block lettering on a white background. And it simply said, it's okay not to drink. And I thought, what a beautiful message. Now, what if we crafted a message very unique to our community, to our culture, and we broadcast that message everywhere for three years? It was on the back of the bus. It was on the book covers at school. It was on the radio. It was on social media. It was on every news channel. It was on PBS, it was on billboards, it was on signs. I mean, everywhere you look, there was a simple message that everyone saw repeatedly. I wonder if a message crafted for your community, repeated continuously for three years, would begin to impact the culture. So lots of different thoughts bouncing around in my head right now about media literacy, media advocacy, social marketing. I hope that you're including all of those things in your effectiveness as a prevention program. But I hope you've also asked yourself, do I just want to copy another program from another state or do I want to craft something that fits my community and my culture? I do think that we can 
look at what's most effective, but just because it's effective across the county line or across another state doesn't mean it's going to be effective where I'm at. What do you think, Dave? Yes, that, oh, I could, I could go off on a nice long riff rant soapbox here and Absolutely. When it comes to effective prevention, it has to be created, built, planned, implemented, assessed, and evaluated. And no, I didn't go in order, but I want you to all think. But it's got to be done with the community, with the community. Absolutely. And a challenge as it relates to prevention for us as prevention leaders is how do we innovate while still staying grounded or rooted in the science, in the evidence-based prevention? Because we've got to innovate. We've got to innovate. One of our, our challenges in prevention is that the data, we're slower to get the data, which then we're slower to get the new evidence-based programs and practices and by the time we get funding for those and then we implement that cycle is so drawn out, how are we ever supposed to really get upstream if we don't think innovatively, if we don't build with our communities to figure out what they need specifically? It's a challenge. It's not easy, but got to do it together. That is the magic. The secret is together. And I, I was over here smiling when you're talking about the, the culture and the repeat marketing podcast listeners. How many times have you heard me say prevention is better together and together we are stronger? A lot. I'm going to keep saying it until I am blue in the face because that is one of my goals. My vision is to help shape the, the culture of prevention in the workforce to one that when you're tasked with a new project, when you're starting a new grant or bringing together a new team, I want your first thought to be, ooh, who can I do this with? Who can I partner with? Who can I collaborate with? Ooh, who can I help? Who can help me? Having that mindset of always looking for partners, always looking for people, to do your prevention efforts with. So that's my rant, my ramble. Well, and Dave, I want to touch on prevention's better together. If we're mm -hmm. looking at being innovative and effective in our community, how have we involved the community? Now, I'm a huge advocate on youth and adult partnerships. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge advocate at involving young people in the prevention. And let me just make this simple statement. If you have a message that you want to get out to 14-year-olds, you need to craft your message and then give it to a bunch of 14-year-olds and ask them, how do we put that message out? It's doing prevention together that's very innovative and effective. I, I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I've been 14 and things have changed since then. Mm -hmm. So you can craft the message. Here's, here's the content that we want delivered, mm -hmm. but then you need a focus group of 14 year olds and let them design the message. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. The message they want to deliver will not look like the message you handed them. Thank goodness. The same with if we're going to work in a, in a college or a university level. You know, the things that I think are all cool and groovy, uh, do we even use that language anymore? So what if we take the content and we pass it off to a focus group of college students and we say, hey, how do we get this word out on this campus? So uh, again, I know I'm getting into a training on social marketing and media advocacy, but how do we do prevention together? Well, we simply have to ASK. We have to ask people to get involved. We need to provide opportunities for them. Do you know there's a whole social developmental strategy around opportunity, skills, and recognition? Giving young people the chance, the opportunity to be part of your program, giving them the skills necessary, and then recognizing them for that. You see, those three things create a bond to your program. And if we had the time, I could share with you all how we have worked with middle school students who are now in their 40s running nonprofit programs, how we worked with high school and college students who are now very innovative and active in different types of social services simply because they were given those opportunities to be part of your program. As you said over and over, prevention's better together. I'm going to say repeatedly, how do we do prevention with the community, not to the community? I think it's a great concept. Well, when we start looking at national data, do you realize underage drinking is lower today than it has been for 30 years? When we look at national data, do you realize that tobacco use has been cut in half? When you look at national data, do you realize that marijuana misuse among young people has kind of plateaued and leveled out? I guess what I'm saying is what you do as a prevention specialist matters. I don't know if you realize how valuable you are. I don't realize if you understand the contribution you make to this world makes this world better. You know, we, we place a lot of value on things like gold or diamonds because they're rare. We say that gold is worth more than copper because there's less of it. But did you ever stop to realize how rare you are? Since this world started spinning, there never has been, nor will there ever be, you. Oh, I know there's some people who look like you or talk like you or dress like you, but, but nobody sees the world through your eyes. And there are other people who have hands and fingers like you, but, but nobody will touch the world like you do. You are unique. You are rare. And you are valuable perhaps more valuable than you know. 
Now, I do not know why you were born at this time or at the place you were born in. That's for you to discover your purpose. That's for you to find out why you were put here. But when your purpose and your place collide, there's a lot of power there. I am so glad that you are right where you're at doing what you're doing. I'm going to ask you, though, don't just be busy. Be effective. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep investing in people. It's the best investment you will make. We've talked about opportunities, gaps, recommended you know for the the new prevention professional the the experienced prevention professional what they should learn to be more effective what what resources do you or prevention training services inc have what's out there for our listeners so they can learn and grow and continue to be more effective dave uh, our focus at prevention Training services is to improve the workforce. And, and we provide a virtual conference in the spring and a virtual conference in the fall. We look for topics and we look for presenters across the, the country who can bring skills to these presentations. So it's just not a, another setting and getting kind of uh, event. We, we want to provide practical skills that you can actually implement immediately. Prevention training services, we, we started in about 2012, just looking at the fundamentals and foundations of prevention. But in 2019, we became a nonprofit, a charitable training organization. And we've trained almost a thousand individuals from 30 different states. Uh, even Washington, D.C. and Guam and Bermuda. We've brought together people in rural areas who couldn't attend the conference. We've brought people from states who uh, don't have big conferences to attend. But we're very intentional on teaching the knowledge and skills that the ICNRC puts out in the Prevention Candidate Guide. As a matter of fact, almost all of our trainings are based on the resources and reference materials there. So I guess what I'm saying is we're very intentional on developing a workforce that provides effective prevention, but also looking at how to help people pass the certification exam. Now, I have a lot of letters after my name, and that was always just about gaining knowledge but when I first got into this field, my director said, Mitchell, you have a big heart, but no credential. You should start looking at certification, not because it will change your heart, but it may open doors for you. So again, I started collecting letters after my name, whether that was in counseling or in prevention. And that has helped me open doors and be able to serve better in my community. But we also started looking at there is no training for supervisors. So last year, we created a supervision of prevention professionals conference. 
Matter of fact, we're going to host that again virtually in November. Dave, one that I love, we just completed it the other day, the Experiential Training Laboratory. We spent two days face-to-face with prevention specialists teaching them specific skills around facilitating groups, around public speaking, around all of those activities, how to use uh, different types of activities to teach, to instruct. Uh, I call them tips, tricks, and training techniques. So there are a lot of things that we offer, but the thing I would impress upon this audience today Back to that, if you do not ASK, you will not GET. Please go to our website and connect with us and ask us for what you need. Now, we do have an online assessment you can go to and look at, but more specifically, ask for what you need because we may have that connection. We may have that resource. We may have that reference. And certainly, we would provide those things. We have a resource page that just has a plethora of information on it. So I, I hope that um, that kind of answers your question about what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's important to give away what was given to me and how to pass that on to other people. Absolutely. And listeners, I will put links to their website to the upcoming Fall Prevention Specialist Conference, which is in October, and also a link to the Supervision of Prevention Professionals, which will be in November. Get involved, and yes, ask, ask. Prevention is better together. Mitch and the team there believe it too, and will absolutely connect you to the right folks, and they all have a heart of servants. Absolutely. I don't know if you could hear it, but it's about lunchtime over here. Uh, but before we wrap up our, our conversation, my last big question for you is if you were to tell our listeners, hey, if you're going to remember one thing from this episode, remember this, what would it be? Dave, I I just want to stress the importance of what you're doing in the lives of people. For centuries, ships have been carrying valuable cargo through treacherous seas to people waiting on distant shores. Now, it's said that ships in harbor are safe, but that's not what ships are built for. So today, I'm going to encourage you to get out of your safety, out of your comfort zone, to continue sailing across those rough seas because somewhere, someone is desperately waiting for that very unique, rare gift that only you can deliver. You matter. What you do is important. And prevention is better together. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Dave. It has been an absolute delight. You've got my mind flooded with ideas and opportunities. Always, always enjoy connecting with you. Until we chat again, be well. That concludes this episode. Thanks for tuning in. 
Be sure to hit the subscribe button and share this episode with a friend before you leave. And we look forward to seeing you on social media because prevention is better together. Together, we are stronger.